Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivulani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. John Fulkerson, who's an orthopedic surgeon and professor at Yale University. Before joining Yale's faculty last year, he spent several decades as a professor of surgery at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. Dr. Fulkerson has a special focus on patella instability and is president of the Patella Femoral Foundation. He's been a team doctor for US Olympic ice hockey and the NHL Hartford Whalers. We're also proud to be partnered with him and the Patella Femoral Foundation through our Diffusion Studios team at Osmosis, as well as his partner at the Hospital for Special Surgery, Dr. Beth Schubenstein. Osmosis also has a deep connection with orthopedic surgeons, including Dr. Sanjeev Suratwala and Dr. Veronica Diaz. So it's good to finally have an orthopedic surgeon on Ray's line. Dr. Fulkerson, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. So we always ask the guests the same question, which is how did you get interested in a career in medicine? And then in your case, specifically uh, sports medicine and orthopedics? You know, my background is probably pretty boring. My father was a doctor, my grandfather was a doctor, and my great-grandfather was a doctor. So um, I sort of grew up thinking that I was going to be a doctor and uh, kind of made sure that I did everything I had to do and studied hard and got the grades I needed to. Dropped calculus when I found out that I wasn't going to do very well in calculus in college and got out of there as fast as I could. And, and so I managed to get into med school. And then when I was in med school and surgical training, I met some really great people in orthopedic surgery. So decided that's what I wanted to do. That is often how people choose their specialty. Uh, I was at Hopkins Med School uh, and all my roommates and friends who wound up choosing different specialties, it was very rare that people came in knowing exactly what they wanted to do and then became that. Most of the time it was they had an influential rotation and advisor who kind of changed the course of their, their own career. And so can you tell us a bit more after you finished your orthopedics training, like what got you into academia versus private practice? And then also the origins of the patellofemoral focus and patellofemoral foundation. Well, it's funny, nobody ever asked me that before, oddly enough, but I just knew I wanted to go into academics. I was always fascinated by academic questions. I guess in uh, medical school, I did some research. I was fascinated by the research and I was impressed by the people. Dr. Hanschumacher in pharmacology department at Yale was one of my mentors. Same in college, I did some research and I just thought it was fun. Honestly, I enjoyed the research and I had to be in academics to do research and uh, just seemed like a wonderful place to be. To me, it always seemed like a no brainer. Plus the orthopedic residency I did was full of some really creative people. Dr. Peter Jokel, Dr. Wayne Southwick in particular, who was a great mentor, a great role model. Um, I mean, just to give you an idea about him, when he uh, retired from orthopedics, probably in the sixties or so, he took up sculpture and became a, literally a world-class sculptor. And uh, it goes to, I guess, one of the points I would share with the students and people who might be listening to this who are aspiring to go into medicine, that I think perseverance is really important. You know, choosing a direction and then staying with it, which is what Dr. Southwood taught me and many of us, you know, just to work hard and, and to stay focused. That's great. We've been fortunate to come across a number of physicians who are multi-talented. And obviously there's the famous ones like Dr. Arturo Gawande, who apart from being a surgeon is a very talented writer. Um, and I think medicine tends to attract people who are pretty focused and can, you know, if they apply themselves like Dr. Southwick did to sculpting, maybe they become world, world renowned there too. 
So Yale just announced this fall that they're creating a patellofemoral program under your leadership. Can you tell us a bit more about the program and then also for our audience who hasn't yet seen the uh, video that we created with your, your team, um, what is patellofemoral instability? What is, you know, how common is it and what should people know about it? I'm glad you're asking that question. I mean, I was there again taken by looking at this small joint part of the knee very early in my career in academics, mainly because it was an area that not many people were looking at and it seemed to be poorly understood. Work was needed and some research, so I was fortunate to be surrounded by smarter people than me that could help me in various ways to do some research and gain some information about the patellofemoral joint and, and became a wonderful career path for me. So takes us to where we are with regard to patella instability. And uh, the reason for the program at Yale is that still there are a lot of questions. Just to give you an idea, um, the groove that the patella goes in called the femoral trochlea is actually very complex. The curvatures in it and the way it works as the hip internally rotates and the knee is bending and normal walking cause a very complex situation where the little kneecap needs to catch up to this groove that's kind of rotating away from it. And so unless everything's working just right, the kneecap can pop off the edge of the joint. And that's a patella dislocation. It's very painful and it can be very damaging. And it occurs most often in young people. Uh, so it can take them right out of sports and uh, I'm not very happy about it. So it's very important for us to be able to stabilize the patella and do it in a way that it is going to last for a lifetime and enable them to return to sports. So that's why care of the patellofemoral joint, particularly patella instability, is mostly in the area of sports medicine, which is the area that I've been in majority of my career. Actually, I was going to uh, ask you about that. So, you know, you've been team doctor for the U.S. Olympic ice hockey team and, and the Hartford Whalers and the NHL. Can you tell us a bit more about that experience? Are you still consulting with them? And then obviously, you know, we'll get into COVID, but if you have any comments on, on how COVID's affected uh, any of that work with sports teams. Working with hockey players fell into my lap. Literally uh, was invited in the late 1980s to be the team doctor for NHL Hartford Whalers, which at the time was the only professional sports team in Connecticut. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. It was a lot of fun. You know, being with hockey players is fun. Um, and they have some pretty serious injuries and problems, as one might imagine. So it was a great experience. And because I was taking care of them, the U.S. Olympic hockey team in uh, 1993 was practicing in Cromwell, Connecticut. So the head team doctor, uh, Bill Clancy, asked me if I would take care of the team there while they were practicing. So I said, sure. So I would take care of any problems they had. And then they were uh, going to travel around Europe. So he said, hey, you know, you want to be the team doctor and go along with them? And, sure. So <laughs> I got my way paid. It was really fun. I bet. Are you still involved at all with uh, the sports teams or? Um, not specifically at this point. We've, we've had the pleasure of interacting with a number of physicians and professors who, who've, like you, um, been able to work with different teams. For example, one of our partners is A.T. Still University, which has several campuses, but they're based in Arizona primarily. Their president, Craig, Dr. Craig Phelps, was the Phoenix Suns basketball player and had a lot of really funny stories about, you know, talking to Shaq on the bench uh, about different things. So switching gears a bit, I mean, orthopedic surgery is a very high-tech field. 
And we've also had guests on Raise the Line who come from the medical device world, including Omar Ishraq, who, who ran Medtronic for a number of years. Um, can you tell us a bit more about kind of how the field has changed over the past few decades and, and what most excites you about the field of orthopedic surgery? 3D imaging and printing is obviously that comes to mind. Any commentary about, about technology in, in your profession? Technology is huge in orthopedic surgery. There are a lot of gadgets, so to speak, anchors and screws and implants, things of that nature that are needed in orthopedic surgery. So if somebody comes up with a better mousetrap, you can make a lot of money. Um, I hate to put it that way, but that makes it a very competitive marketplace. And those who are successful do can do very well. Those companies do very well. It's, it's good for us as orthopedic surgeons because there are constantly new devices coming out that are, are helpful to us so we can do surgery better. So it, it is interesting to go around the room where companies have their products at big meetings every year and, and just take a look around. It's fascinating, the, the new ideas that people come up with. So it is a kind of a fun part of what we do and it makes our lives easier. Every year gets a little bit better in that way. I'm sure, and, and again, given that you're at a very prestigious institution like Yale, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, a lot of these devices are being researched or materials are being researched or even developed there. Um, COVID has led to a lot of change, obviously, in the health system and at universities. And one of the reasons we launched the Raise Line podcast, actually, we launched it in the heart of the first wave in the U.S. in March 2020. Um, and so one question we always like to ask our guests is how has COVID changed? Like, how has your experience with COVID been personally or at, at Yale as an orthopedic surgeon? And then what are some of the lasting changes you think COVID is going to have on our healthcare system? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's been a big problem. Right now, I'm only doing telehealth, which really is suboptimal. But um, fortunately, I got the vaccine uh, a couple of weeks ago and the second shot in a couple of weeks from now. So then I'll be vaccinated. And as of February 1st, I'll be able to go back in the office, which is important in orthopedics. What I have learned is it's amazing how much we can understand problems with imaging without actually examining people, which is pretty unorthodox, you know, because typically it's a very hands-on field. But we are able to understand problems, uh, even with telehealth, pretty well by getting the right imaging. And 3D imaging is one of those areas that we focused on at Yale. Um, I think we do it really well. And it's a, it's a program it's getting stronger all the time. Uh, so it's something we can offer to patients to really understand their joints very well with those 3D prints because we literally can have our hands on a model to look at of their need. So in this time of COVID, that's been extremely helpful to us. When we look at the geometry and the morphology of the uh, joint. So I guess that's probably the main way it has affected us. People are reluctant, rightfully so, to have elective surgery. So, you know, that has changed things. And it's very hard for the people who are training, I think. You know, they don't have the same exact type of experience they used to have. So multiple parameters, but, you know, people are resilient and um, things now seem to be getting better. And so the surgery center where I work is probably just about the safest place in New Haven right now because the staff is vaccinated and surgeons are vaccinated. Uh, and the patients are all COVID tested before they come in. Surgery center is actually a very safe place to be these days. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, 
So as you know, Osmosis has a, a large audience of current and future healthcare professionals. What advice would you give to students considering a career in healthcare right now or already on their journeys in healthcare about meeting the challenges of COVID and, and beyond? In a, a general sense, I would, you know, going back to the earlier discussion, you know, persevering and doing all the right things. I'm working with a really great medical student right now, Kristen Yu, who's very smart. And um, so watching her behaviors, uh, she gets tested quite frequently. She goes by all the rules. One thing that actually was sort of touching to me, she was meeting with me and she got a COVID test before she met with me in person because we had some in-person work to do, which I thought was really nice. But you know, she uses that testing well to protect other people. And we all, I think in our field, use masks well, we're diligent about it. Um, I mean, it's a no joke situation. And unlike what we see in public displays, um, People in our field understand how serious this is, and uh, if everybody adhered to the rules like people in our field do, I think the world would be a better place right now. We wouldn't have so much trouble. So, I guess my advice would be to stick to the rules. You know, be smart, be honest. I think in general, integrity and honesty are really important uh, in our field. We don't always see that in what's going on around the country, and. Uh, it's disturbing, and I think at this point in time, it's fair to say that we need to get back to being ethical and doing the right thing for people and being smart about that and, and not listening to conspiracy and crazy stuff, you know, just being honest with people and being kind to people. That's that's so important. You know, if you want to go into a medical field, hopefully you have that within you, because if you don't, you probably should go into something else. Absolutely. And I mean, hopefully we can, you know, all together overcome the disinformation, especially on the health side, the public health side, about mask wearing and social distancing and the vaccine, et cetera. So, uh, and that's definitely one thing that drives us at osmosis. Since we're coming up on time, Dr. Fulkerson, is there anything else you'd like to be able to share with our audience about you, the work um, the Patel Ephemeral Foundation does, Yale, anything else? Well, you mentioned funny stories before. Um, I had one uh, when I was hockey team doctor and called into uh, see one of the players who had been high-sticked across phase up under his high tech and had this big laceration on his nose and his nose looked deformed. And so I uh, was looking at it and I said, wow, that doesn't look too good. It looks like you have a broken nose. And of course, these guys are really tough, you know, and they're, well, what are we going to do about it? And I said, well, we should get you to see an ear, nose and throat doctor and somebody who can take care of this and push it back into place. And he looked at me and he said, you know how to do it? I said, well, I have fixed broken noses. You know, I've done some surgical training. I spent three years in general surgery. And yeah, I, I know how to fix it. He said, well, can you fix it for me? Just, I don't, I don't really want to go to the emergency room and see some other doctor. We got to get on the road. So I thought about it a little bit and I said, well, that's really going to hurt. He said, I don't care. And I, and I knew he didn't care because I was used to taking care of professional hockey players. They don't care. They, they deal incredibly well with pain. So he said, yeah, just, just, you know, just do me a favor, just push it back. All right. You know, cause we were going to sew up his nose and so I go, okay, it's going to hurt. So I grabbed hold of his nose and you know, just tried to get everything lined up and to push it over and push, push, pushing, and it wouldn't move. So he just broke out laughing. He said, ah, it's been that way for years. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, that's a great story. <laughs> so yeah, patient pranking you as a doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Dr. Fortress, I really want to thank you not only for taking the time to be with us on Raise Line today, but more importantly for the work that you do every day, you know, helping patients uh, and improving healthcare capacity. Thank you, Chef. My privilege really to be here. Very grateful for what you do. I think you're doing a great thing. I mean, I'm just amazed by the work that you're doing in osmosis, the quality of these educational videos that we're using now in our patellofemoral foundation are incredible. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to educate broadly with those. I think that they broad appeal uh, to all kinds of people at all levels and makes the information understandable. So thank you for what you do. I, I really appreciate that. And, and very fortunate to be working with a team of very incredibly talented and passionate medical illustrators and, um, and a whole host of other people. So again, thank you so much. And uh, with that, I'm Shiv Guglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>